welcome back to the New Glarus Brewing Podcast with Dan Carey. I am Scott May, and we have Dan Carey in studio with us today. And I'm really excited because this is a beer that I really love and a beer that doesn't come around very often. And as we continue this 30th anniversary year, all these old hits are sort of coming back. And Edo Pills came, but it was a, a brewery only, uh, a sort of a brewery only deal, right, Dan? Uh, and also we sold it in New Glarus. Yeah, yeah, he sold sold Edel pills just in New Glarus, but Uftabak, which is your second your second package beer that came out, that's going to be shipped around the state, right? Oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been I think five years since we've released it, but it was our second beer we released originally in 1995. So we're going to be talking or 94, lot. excuse me, 94. 94. Okay, so you guys started in 93, and you have Edel pills, Uftabak, and and then Belgian Red. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, we're going to be talking about Uftabak today, and this is one of those beers that I that I think is just very interesting because it sort of holds like a unique position, in my mind at least in your guys' story, because, you know, it is one of like the original three beers of your brewery, and it is one I see consistently in the comments of either your on your social media, like when are you going to bring back Uftabak? When are you going to bring back Uftabak? So I think... It's one of those beers that really, for the fans of that beer, really captured them. Can you tell us a little bit about how this recipe for this this sort of darker Bach beer came about? Well, this goes back to uh, 1983 when mm-hmm. I first was uh, graduated from brewing school. I worked at a small brewery in Montana, in Helena, Montana, and we made uh, we made a, a, a Bach beer then. And the, the famous uh, beer writer, Michael Jackson, not the singer, but uh, the English Michael Jackson. That would be kind of cool if they were one and the same. Yeah. Like just moon, moonlighting. Uh, but uh, so the English Michael Jackson came to visit our brewery in those way back then, whatever mm-hmm. that is, 40 years ago. And he called uh, our Bach beer um, the best Bach beer in america really at that time yeah so that was pretty cool so that recipe yeah i can see how that'd be kind of cool yeah i i I carried it along you know all those years and so uh 10 years later when we started our brewery uh i dusted it off and made it again wow and there's you know there's so much to unpack in that story that i think is just super super interesting like the first being so these days craft beer has sort of and breweries have sort of proliferated the country like you you can't really go to a state that doesn't at least have you know their 10 craft breweries right yeah but back in those days there there really wasn't that 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 much of of that so when a guy like michael jackson is looking for craft beer in america is it just like okay we're going to montana so we have like the two to choose from or how does that sort of work out yeah that's a good point back in those days uh i would say that we were probably like the ninth um, uh, craft brewery to open in, in the country. Okay. Um, and, uh, but there was a lot of Bach beer made in America. There's always been Bach beer made in America. The legacy brewers, you know, the regional breweries all made Bach beers. The breweries of New York and Pennsylvania yeah. and Wisconsin all made uh, Bach beers. A lot of times in the spring. Uh, and so, so there's always been lots of Bach beers. They're not... They're not usually all year round beers. Mm-hmm. They're usually seasonal, but even in those days, uh, most breweries made a Bach beer. And and there were, you know, like I said, the legacy breweries that were uh, still around in those days. So when you're 
when you're thinking about this beer for for your second beer at New Glarus, how what was sort of the lag time between Edelpils and and Uftabak? Because you know, in those days, I know you guys were sort of in a mad dash just to get sort of beer out there to start, you know, to start bringing money in to make more beer. Yeah. So what what was the timing on that like? Well, um, we started in uh, in 93 and that first year we really only made Edel pills. Yeah. And that was uh, like a little less than 200 barrels we made that first year. But our plan was always to come out with more beers. And so I think probably... Oh boy, that that spring of '94, we probably came out with the Bach beer, and soon after that with Belgian Red. We went around and we had wooden barrels, you know, old style, old school German wooden barrels, and we we would go around and um, tap the kegs at at bars, um, and we only sold draft beer to start with. Okay, so. So this comes out on draft first then, right? Yeah. And and if you can remember back, you know, back to 94, what, what was your reception like at the bars when you were, when you were handing out pints of, of Uftabak and, and and explaining the beer you made and and all that kind of stuff? (laughs) Well, um, those days were the, the heyday of Miller Lite. Miller Lite was the, the big dog. And so, uh, and and we were unique in the craft breweries uh, um, to be an a to be a lager brewery and and most nowadays everything are are ales mm-hmm. so there was uh, there was Sprecher and Capital and they both made amber Sprecher amber and Capital amber and then so and bars didn't usually have like they do now you know six or twelve or forty beers on tap yeah you're fighting for like the four three, yeah, yeah like three or four and uh, so it, it was you know it was Miller Miller Lite and uh one of the uh amber loggers so um yeah it was a learning curve to get people to understand what it was there was one of the reasons we built a brewery near madison is is that it's a there's a the demographics are people that have traveled a lot you know Mm -hmm. maybe people that have been in the military a lot of in, in those days it's not so much now but in those days the U.S. military presence in Germany was fairly big. So there were a lot of folks that had been in the army stationed in Germany and they understood what a Bach beer was or what it meant, a German style Bach Mm -hmm. beer or, or people that, that traveled, uh, you know, maybe when they graduated from college, went backpacking in Europe, that was kind of the big thing to do in those days. So there was a, um, a segment of our customers that got it. That, that, really that were already sort of well-traveled in that way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, cause yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Cause in Madison, you have the university, you have the Capitol and yeah. you have uh Truex airfield and you have um, just down the road a piece right before you get right after Sauk city of it, uh, you know, another army air national guard base. So it's like you kind of have all these things in sort of a, a very compact area. Yep. yep. So, well, we got a bottle of this right here. Do you want to, should we try some? Sure. I always love getting to do these episodes, like, you know, a little bit before the beer drops because I feel like I'm getting like a sneak preview. And it's kind of funny to say that with a beer I, I've had. But what I find is when you guys sort of come out with these every once in a while, it does build like a sort of excitement within me when I see it on the schedule. And I'm like, Oh man, I have not had that since 2018. I'm I'm really really looking forward to this. Yeah, it's uh, it's I can't believe it's been five years. 
Yeah, no, I, I remember too. The last time Uftabak was out, I was still at the house in New Glarus. And I, I you know, I, I remember, you know, it being sort of fall time and sitting down with an Uftabak in, in my living room watching, I think I was watching baseball or something like that. And just really, really enjoying it. So I'm always, I'm always interested in what my like sense memory is. Yeah. Right. When I try it again, you know, that's right. Well, they say that, uh, the, the sense of smell is very close to memory. Mm -hmm. So that's why when you smell things, they, uh, they, they bring you, they bring back memories like, you know, the, the smell of your grandmother's kitchen or or whatever they, they, uh, elicit, uh, uh, a fond, good memories. And so this beer definitely, you know, it's malty and rich and caramely and uh, full flavored. So it's perfect for the fall. Well, yeah. And I just took my first sip of this. And what's really striking me and what I really love about this beer is, yes, it is. It is all those things you just mentioned. And if you look at the color, it's that it's that rich caramel color you want. The malt backbone is right there where you want it. But then on the on the sides of your palate, on like as it washes in, it has a bite to it that I just absolutely love because it is not overstated. It's yeah. not like you would say, oh, this is a, you know, a hop forward beer because it, it, it's not. Yeah, it's definitely not. It, it, it totally isn't. But there is a bite there that lets you know you're drinking, you're drinking a beer, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's so subtle and so, but so present that it, to me, it's just, it, it's really indicative of when something's like really well constructed, right? Well, you don't, you don't want a beer to be, uh, you know, a Bach beer should have sweetness for yeah, sure. Yeah, for but sure. It shouldn't be satiating, and the and the little bit of bitterness, hot bitterness, uh, on the end is is really there to kind of finish the beer, dry your palate out, so that you're not feeling satiated. Well, I can I can I can absolutely see why this beer has has sort of people have been singing its praises for for the last 40 years you know like yeah. when you're talking about 83 to now like i was born in 83 so i know how long ago yeah. that was but this beer also holds sort of like a special place like aside of it being sort of an evolving recipe that was getting recognized early on by you know michael jackson and things like that like this beer after you left Kessler was also, you know, the next version of this beer was sent over to Germany and, and helped get you an apprenticeship over there. Well, yeah, that's kind of a funny story. Um, when, uh, when I was brewing at this brewery in Montana, uh, we were making kind of similar beers. We were making Mm -hmm. Germanic style lager beers, um, like Edelpils, uh, a beer like, like dancing man. So similar beers, even back in the early eighties. And so Deb packed up some and sent them to, um, uh, Charles Finkel who owned, uh, the grand beer, uh, importer, Mershon Duvin. Mm-hmm. He's one of the first people to really start importing Belgian and kind of esoteric beers from Europe. And nobody at that time was doing that. And, and he was also inspired by Michael Jackson to do this, but in any event, um, Deb and I had kind of befriended him and, you know, he's a very passionate guy and loves good wine, loves good beer. So Deb packed up some beer and sent it to him. And it was just, um, fortuitous, uh, serendipitous that the owner of a small brewery, the Iyengar brewery near Munich was visiting him because mm-hmm. Charles imported Iyengar beer still does. And, uh, so, um, 
Franz Inselkammer tasted my beer and said, oh, yeah, this is pretty good beer. You know, this kid's doing all right. <laughs> if, if he ever f- feels like coming to Germany, uh, he should come visit me. So I uh, took the opportunity and said, hey, can I come over and do an apprenticeship, do an in- more or less an internship, you know, yeah. come and work in the brewery. So uh, Deb and I and the kids, uh, Katie was probably uh, at that time, she was two mm-hmm. and Nicole was gosh probably five wow and, uh we we packed up uh and um loaded up on a, a iceland air and flew to uh to 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 uh to to europe and got on a bus and went to munich and took train out to Aing and uh they gave us an apartment in a in the, where all the brewers lived in kind of a high-rise apartment complex and we uh, uh so i went to work at the brewery yeah, and that brings up like just listening to you tell that tell that story. It's, it's always so shocking to me where it's like, oh man, I mean, my son's four. Yeah, I could not imagine sort of you know packing him into a in, two of him into an airplane and 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 upsetting like the the whole routine of the thing because you know nowadays I feel like you know everyone's got their nap schedule and their lunch schedule. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah, and and I know we've covered it a little bit, but how you know how was that experience just on like a family level? Well, the the um, people in Aing thought we were crazy. Yeah, um, we were thirty three at mm-hmm. that no thirty five at that time, and uh, um, I I felt like it was a real opportunity. And uh, Deb has always been really really supportive of my uh, career as I as I worked my way up in breweries and. Um, She's always been adventurous and uh, Nicole and Katie were really, uh, they were really chill kids. Yeah. um, Easy to travel with Katie. Katie didn't like traveling. She hated (laughs) traveling, but Nicole, if you gave Nicole a coloring book um, or, you know, something to play with, she was, she would just really be easy to travel with. And so um, it was really hard because we had, you know, all of this things we needed for, for this three month, uh, trip uh, in boxes. And when we were, we were riding the train, the, the subway from the airport to, to this village of eyeing, um, the people on the train, you know, were looking at us like these people are nuts. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a lot of work and it was, I, I think that, you know, I'm just really lucky that my family was so supportive. I remember one day uh, Deb was taking the kids to uh, downtown Munich to go to mm-hmm. a, like an art museum. They have some really nice art museums in Munich. And so she was on the train and uh, with with Katie was had a she was giving Katie a bottle and the little ladies in the train, they just figured that she was a local because the way she dressed and the way that Deb looked, she just looked like, you know, she could have been easily a yeah. local. Fraulein yeah, Carey. Just, uh, yeah. Frau Carey, uh, yeah. Mitkinder. So, yeah. um, she, uh, was giving Katie a, a bottle, a bottle and the old ladies were kind of cooing, you know, how old ladies do. And, 
um, uh, one of them said, oh, it's, it's really, it, this was 1983. And this is <laughs> one of the reasons why Germany is a great country. Because the old lady said, oh, it's so healthy that you're giving your baby beer. It's good for him. <laughs> full of vitamins. And so, of course, Deb, being American, you know, she said, no, no, nay, 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 it's applesauce, it's applesoft, it's juice. Yeah. And the little ladies were horrified and they were shaking their fingers out or saying, oh my God, you should never give your baby apple juice. It will rot their teeth. It's a terrible thing to do. You should be giving your baby beer. <laughs> and when she got home that night and told me that story, I laughed and I thought, yeah, this is a great country. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And that's why Wisconsin's a great state, you know? Like, yeah. I'll see people every once in a while visit here and, you know, you see someone, I was in Wisconsin and I said a bar and there was like a four-year-old there. And it's yeah. like, well, yeah. Well, what time was it? Are we talking noon? Then yeah, yeah. it's lunch or is it well, Friday it's not night? Like that, you know, the kid's doing Boilermaker. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's there with his parents. You know, having having a cheese curds and a yeah, burger. Yeah, it's or a something. good a good place to get a burger. Oh like, yeah, Ted, Teddy, my son, four. He just tapped his first wooden keg. So. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, he is a cool kid. Yeah, he really he he really really is. Um, and the second thing that sort of brought up for me is you know. We've talked about, and when we talked with you and Deb, we said, you know, this is the Hilltops, the brewery, or the the brewery spotted cow bill, right? And, right. and it really is. But Uftabak to me is one of those like butterfly effect points for your brewing career and, and, and for New Glarus because it's like, you know, everything sort of had to line up in that narrative. Like, you know, Michael Jackson notices it, says this is the best Bach beer in, in America right now. You have to then go ahead and, and figure out, oh, things aren't working so well at Kessler and, and take another gig. Deb has to recognize how great this beer is, include it in a package. And that gets you over to Germany, which really then, you know, your your education continues in that way and gives you sort of that foothold to like, you know, probably have the confidence to be like, you know, I could do the Diploma Master Brew exam. I could probably yeah. go to Siebel and all this stuff. So it seems like... And, and I might just be way overanalyzing it because that's sort of what I do. But it seems like UFTA occupies a very sort of well, it was nuance, a foundational, yeah, nuance and foundational yeah. spot in your career. Yeah, that's that's for sure true. And uh, you know, you can't underestimate the um, value of good luck. Yeah, you you really can't when you know when the opportunity meets you exactly when you're ready for it. You know, yeah, that's right. And yeah, that, no. that's right. You have to be ready for sure. <laughs> yeah. Cause you, the opportunity can meet you when you're not ready for it. Yeah. And that can, that can actually turn out, that can be very detrimental. But, yeah, sure. But so with this beer and it coming back again, again, this year, we talk a little bit about the style of a, of a Bach beer and it, and its history and the kind of variations that it goes through within the States and where Ufta sort of falls on that continuum, I guess. Well, a, a Bach beers are, um, it, it depends on who you talk to, how, how you define them. Yeah. Um, this is a, uh, this is a German style Bach and, uh, you know, Germans have laws for, for mostly everything. everything. Yeah. That's why it's very orderly, uh, society. And, um, the, the, what's called the original gravity that is a way of measuring the strength of a beer is more or less between 16 and 18 degrees Play-Doh. Uh, which corresponds to more or less around six and a half percent alcohol. So it's stronger than a standard beer. And in Germany, normally when you think about Bach beers, they're dark. Yeah. Uh, But they don't have to be because the law only is talking about the strength of the beer. So you can make a 
pale Bach beer, a blonde Bach mm-hmm. beer, which there's been really lots of good ones made in um, in Wisconsin, for example. Um, well, Cabin Fever. Yeah, well, <laughs> Cabin Fever, that's right. So, um, <clears throat> so there's also Weizenbox, uh, mm-hmm. made a, a, a wheat beer uh, style Bach beers. Uh, and, um, but in the United States, we've kind of gone our own way. And there are also American style Bach beers and they're, they don't adhere to the German rules of 16 to 18 degrees Play-Doh or six and a half percent alcohol, Yeah, but they're, they're mostly dark. And so, and they're usually spring beers. So you see them in a lot of, a lot of the, as I said, the, the legacy breweries that you find along the Northern tier of uh, United States or mm-hmm. even in Texas, uh, you, you can find like Shiner Bach. So they're, they're yeah. a little bit richer, darker beers. This is a German style Bach. So it follows the mm-hmm. tradition of making um, a beer in that alcohol band, more or less. But the but Bach beers were have been around for probably over 600 years. And mm-hmm. the name Bach uh, comes from um, the German word for a, uh, a male goat. Oh, very cool. But, and that's why you see sort of goats yeah, exactly, representing exactly. Bach beer. But really it probably comes, it's very, it's a word. It's, it's, it's uh, like, uh, like the word buck. So mm-hmm. a, a buck. But normally, when people think of a bach, they think of a male goat. But it could be could be a male other, you know, deer or whatever. But in any event, that's really just kind of happenstance that they started to be called a bach beer because originally, six hundred years ago, there was a strong beer made in the town of Einbeck in northern Germany. Gotcha. And Einbeck was a part of the Hanseatic League, you know, one of the wealthy trading centers along the the, the north coast of of Germany. And uh, this beer was famous. And Munich was also a center of brewing, uh, uh, kind of a cutting-edge city like, like London was. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so they made great beer uh, there in, 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 in Munich, mostly dark beers. And this style, this Einbeck beer, Einbecker beer, uh, kind of caught their eye. And so a brewery brought down a brewmaster from Einbeck to make the beer in Munich about yeah. 300 years ago, more or less. And the beer was well-received. And so when people would call out for that beer in the tavern, they would ask for an Einbeck beer or an Einbecker beer. So Einbeck beer uh, over time became Einbach beer yeah. or a Bach and eventually <laughs> became Bach beer. And the Munich tradition has spread all over the world. So you find Bach beers all over the world now. Wow. And and I love learning about the history of this stuff because like when you throw out a thing like, and then they, you know, they brought a brewer from Einbach down to, to Munich, oh, 300 years ago. My modern mind goes, oh, you hopped a train or got on a plane or whatever, but like, yeah. I don't know the geography, like how difficult would it even be to get someone from Einbach yeah, to Munich I'm, I'm sure it was 300 a, years ago? It is probably, a, yeah, not easy. Certainly <laughs> there were no, no roads, but it would have been a combination of probably a river travel and, and stagecoach, I would guess. And this is the insane part to me that I just absolutely love when we start talking beer and the history of beer. 
you have to take something very, very seriously <laughs> to to move heaven and earth to get a brewer from one place to another <laughs> to yeah, teach you how right. to make a beer. You know what I mean? Because it's not like he was coming down like, okay, they've cured plague. It's in Einbach and he's, it's, he's coming. You see, you kind of see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, this has always had this important place in our lives, I guess. Well, you know, you can't go really go to the internet and, and you know, watch their, uh, uh, look at their Einbecker Brewery w- website and, and figure out how to make the beer. You got to really bring the specialist down. And I'm sure, you know, sending a letter up to Einbeck and waiting for a response. It was things, people were more patient, I guess. Yeah. And the other thing it, it, it sort of brought up to me is, and we were talking about sort of German beer law and just, you know, Germans sort of have, like you said, they, they like to order things and they have yeah, right. uh, laws for just about everything. It seems with like the Bach beer, because there was sort of an ambiguity in the law, it allowed for experimentation that, that made it sort of different. Whereas, and, and I may be wildly off base, but like, you know, are there specific laws surrounding like Hellas and things like that, that really ratchet it more in and don't yeah. have as much room for experimentation yeah. that way? Well, most, uh, most countries, including Germany, will um, control beers, their definitions of beer and taxes on beers by the strength of the beer. Yeah. So certainly a Hellas would be a different um, category than, say, a Bach beer. And uh, it's uh, most things in brewing uh, laws are around payment of taxes. So it's a, the strength of the beer often in, not in the United States, but in a lot of countries, the strength of the beer dictates how much taxes are paid. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. You want to, you want to get your, Uncle Sam, and I'm sure their equivalent in Germany yeah. need, needs to get paid. Uncle, Uncle Wilhelm. Uncle Wilhelm is very, very apt to get, get his dollars worth. Yeah, right. Uh, I might be just going insane, but as I was drinking this beer, and the combination sort of of like the sweet flavor and that bitter finish, I got just this flash of like Baker's chocolate in my mind and it tasted oh, really, yeah. really good. And yep. Yep. And it's just sort of evolved. Like as the beer was warming up, it was just sort of evolving as I was drinking it. And I was like, that, that tastes like a really nice piece of Baker's chocolate. That is really good. Well, it's funny because, uh, Deb wrote on the label that, um, if you choose, if you choose, to enjoy our Bach before, during, or after dinner, remember to serve at about 48 degrees because like many good things in life, the warmer the Bach, the sweeter it gets. Well, there you go. There you go. So it, it, it turns out Deb's very good at describing beer. Yeah, she is. So I know there's sort of naming traditions around these beers as well. And, you know... And for you guys, what we were talking about in the, in the the episode with you and Deb, you know, Spotted Cow at the time it came out sort of flaunted flaunted naming traditions, right? That were sort of acceptable in Wisconsin, right? You had your Budweiser, your Miller, your you know, your just Capital, your yeah. you know, whatever it was. They, 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 they people weren't coming out with as many just like let's say creative names as they yeah, that's are, right. are these days. But you guys are really laying the groundwork for that sort of thing very early on with Ufta Bach. Because yeah, that's a good point. Whimsical names and beers were not common in those days. In fact, yeah, you're right. You're right. So this sort of naming thing has sort of been with you guys since the, since the inception and has been part of your identity. Like, well, before Spotted Cow sort of came oh, around. Yeah, definitely. 
But with Bach beers in general, one of the things I always notice is like the the or thing with a lot of Bach beers, like Celebrator, Optimator, okay. you okay. know, that sort of thing. And, you you know, you get sort of the through the grapevine stories on why these things happen. And it seems like Bach beer in particular has like a, a, a mythos around it. Yeah. But what is the story behind those sort of naming rights, I guess, for Bach beer? Well, the uh, the A-T-O-R, Ador is a, 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 the ending of a names of beers from from Germany for uh, what are called double box, like our gyrator. Yeah. Uh, is an example of a double box. Okay. So a double box is not twice as strong as a normal box beer. It's, it's, I mentioned box beers have a, have an, what's called original gravity or a measurement of strength of between 16 and 18. And, and, a um, a, a, a double box is above 18, 18 or above, above 18. And, um, the original Doppelbach was called, uh, the Savior or Salvatore. Okay. And so Salvatore was a beer that was made in Munich, uh, and it was very well received. And lots of brewers in the Munich area started to, and other places, started to make this type of beer. Mm -hmm. So this kind of thing happens. For example, the name Budweiss uh, is a Czech city Pilsen is a Czech city. Gotcha. And if you brew a beer in Pilsen, that is a Pilsner beer. If you brew a beer in Budweiser, that's a Budweiser beer mm-hmm. in that town, in the German language. Yeah. So there used to be a time when there were lots of breweries that made Budweiser beer, just yeah. like there are lots of breweries that make Pilsner beers. But the Pilsner name was not successfully... Um, um, protect it gotcha. by the brewery in Pilsen, Pilsner Urquell, but the Budweiser name was successfully protected by the brewery in St. Louis. Yeah. So the other brewers that made Budweiser beer had to stop using the name and it became a protected trade right. And in fact, okay. Anheuser-Busch has been so good, they have <laughs> such good lawyers because lawyers are... Uh, the the victory in court goes to those who have the most expensive lawyers and are willing to last the longest. And so Budweiser was so successful <laughs> that the brewery in the town of Budweiss cannot call his beer Budweiser when it's sold in the United States. Wow. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's kind of great because, you know, these days we're used to beer... You know, sort of beer styles as descriptors, right? Like IPA, India Pale yeah, Ale, right, or, right, you know, Stout, right. or, you know. But it seems like at the genesis, these things were just like, oh, no, this is the beer they just make in this town. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's so right. that's the, the style of beer is the town's name. That's right. And then no one, I think, predicts like, well, in 400 years, someone's going to come along and copyright the, you know, copyright Portland. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But in any event, getting back to the uh, uh, Salvatore, um, the uh, the brewery that made this beer was now had competition from lots of brewers making Salvatore beer. Gotcha. So they went to court in Germany and were able to, like Budweiser, protect the name. So this only this one brewery can make Salvatore. So the other breweries that made this type of popular strong beer were out in the cold. Mm-hmm. So they, to be creative, they came up with names similar names so 
you have beers like Opt- Optimator, Optimator, mm-hmm. um, or Celebrator, Celebrator, or in our case, Gyrator. Uh, so that's just a naming uh, convention that is, it's no law that says you have to do it, but it's sort of just the, the naming, uh, the way that these types of beers are named. But that's a double box, so it's stronger. Like like our Gyrator was a double box. Ufta is a... Um, is a single box and it, it has the, the name Ufta has its own mm-hmm. unique story too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause it's very Norwegian and we're, we're sitting in the middle of, of Swiss country. <laughs> yeah, that that's right. Um, so as people probably know that Wisconsin is all about immigrants and yeah. mainly Northern European immigrants and they came in, in waves. The, the, um, the Norwegians that came to Greene County and this area were escaping a severe poverty. Mm-hmm. I think um, things were not going well in Norway. And so farmers, could you imagine, you know, you talked about trying to travel across Germany, yeah. uh, you know, 150 years ago or 120 years ago to pack up your family and leave your homestead, leave, leave your farm and you know, oh, with a couple of suitcases, and yeah, it's absolute insanity. A, a cold and unfriendly place like New York City and Ellis Island, and wait in line. And what a what a amazing journey! Uh, what what a um, how tough those people must have been. But oh, they, yeah. they had nothing when they got here, so they basically had to cut trees and, and build cabins. And so the the Norwegians were relatively um, relatively poor, mm-hmm. and. Um, the Swiss immigrants that settled New Glarus a little over 150 years ago. New Glarus's problem, I'm, I'm sorry, Switzerland's problem at that time is his population growth. And they yeah. were a relatively affluent country, but there was too many people. So the government sponsored this group of farmers to come to Wisconsin and they funded the journey. So the, the, the Swiss farmers arrived in New Glarus with enough means to really get a good foothold and start. So you had this village of Nuglaris surrounded by uh, less affluent Norwegian farmers. And so when we moved to Nuglaris, we were, we were outsiders and um, Deb being of Norwegian extraction, Mm -hmm. there were, you know, jokes because of the, the old Swiss would kind of tease us. Mm -hmm. So uh, Deb named the spear Ufta as kind of a joke and everybody got a kick out of it. The idea was to say, you know, this is a Norwegian, this Nuclearis is a, certainly a Swiss town, mm-hmm. but um, we're going to give this sort of a a, a Norwegian expletive. Ufta is sort of a, the kind of, it's a, it's a word that you would use like when you stub your toe, you say Ufta, or when you um, walk outside and it's 20 degrees below zero, you say Ufta. So it just is refers to Ufta. This is a big beer because back in those days when this came out, a beer of this strength was really not very common. Yeah. Cause you're talking like, you know, 5% beer, four or 5% beers at that that time. And so 6.5 was like, Whoa, what what are we doing here? And rich and dark. And like you said, chocolatey and caramely and malty. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely love this beer. And every time it comes around, it, it, it makes me very, very happy. It, it, and I, and I love it this, you know, sort of this time of year when the days are getting a little, a little shorter. Cause it is that like, it is that little bit stronger than, you know, the, the, the session ales you've been drinking all summer. And yeah, right. it sort of signifies like, 
Yeah, time to put on a, a couple extra pounds and, and settle yeah. in for negative 20 at That's some right. point. And I love this time of year because it's the time of year when you can still wear shorts with a sweater. So uh, yes, for me, 45, 50 degrees is that's when I'm uh, that's when all my systems are going well. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. Give me a, a 50 degree day. That's kind of cloudy. Yeah. You know, you and then that's like, all right, this is this is perfect. I can. Yeah. Uh, that's T-shirts for me. I'm like, all yeah, right. That's right. This it, is good. It suits our Celtic sensibility. Exactly. Well, Dan, I think we've we've covered UFDA. I'm really excited. It's coming back around and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm really excited. We got to go through this sort of season of, uh, you know, Edo pills coming out and now UFDA coming back and, um, with more on the horizon to go too. we're still going to have to talk about we heavy and, and, and cool things like that, which are going to be sort of tandem dropping alongside UFDA. So that's right. That's right. So it, it'll be a good, um, a good beginning of the fall for Wisconsin beer drinkers, I think. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time, Dan. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.